0: Joy, a phenomenon that transcends our circumstances, a mystery that confounds the enemies. When the world sees despair and doubt, our joy in Christ sings louder and louder, rising above the temporary and embracing the eternal. From prison cell to palace, from dungeon to deliverance, everything pales in comparison to knowing Christ and seeing His beauty. in all things, to have peace in the midst of anxiety, to rejoice in suffering, the impossible made possible through Christ. Oh, to be found in Him, to be called a citizen of heaven, to be made righteous. How can we do anything but rejoice? All right, Trinity Church, how you doing today? Great to see you this very first day of September. So glad you're here with us on this Labor Day weekend. Hey, every time we kick off a new series, I am just always in awe of the talent that we have on our staff. Chris uh, Petnack does our graphics. Chris Dowdy, our video. Can we just thank them? They do such a good job. So good for that. And they help us just kind of begin to wrap our mind around a little bit. What are we doing? And you're here today as we kick off a brand new series in the book of Philippians. And we're gonna see as... Even the graphic demonstrates in the video, just it's a book replete with this idea of joy. And I'm so excited to dig into it. I was thinking about praying about this last week. I don't know that in our, just where our church is at, like we, we put this on a calendar almost a year ago of preaching in uh, the first couple of months of the fall through the book of Philippians on this theme of joy before we could obviously know where we were gonna be and what's going on in the ethos of our church. But I just feel like this book couldn't be better timed and I'm so excited for it and excited to dive into it with you today. So a couple of things going on, I wanna welcome you here in the worship center. For those of you watching online, we wanna welcome you and for those of you out on the pavilion, I'm grateful that you're here today. I hope you're not sweating too much, uh, but it's a, it's a good day. Uh, what I want you to do, if you have your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these. If you want to get those out, if you have a Bible today, you can open that up to Philippians chapter one. Philippians is in that group, it goes Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So in the back half of your Bible, find your right way there to chapter one. You'll note, by the way, as you get out your um, your message notes for today, this will help you track with us, but you'll note they're a little bit thicker. Over the summer, it's just been the one half page, but now there's the information for our home groups as well. A lot of our home groups are starting back up this week with a brand new series. Others might start next, but the point is those notes are there for you to kind of guide your discussion have a great conversation this week is our, our hope and our prayer for your time. So we're excited. A lot of things going on like that at Trinity right now as we just kind of, we really are, a lot of our ministry programs operate a lot like a school year. So as the school year is kind of getting traction, so we are jumping in as well. Before we get into it, I want to share with you, I was thinking about, I have had the last couple of weeks, my lawn billboard here to show you. Most of those are all out. I've seen them around town. So thank you for putting those up in your yards we want to give you another way though not just necessarily just through the physical address that you have but even the social footprint that you leave about ways to be sharing what trinity church is doing take a look at this screen we have a brand new link to our our webpage uh, called trinityonline.org slash share. And what we've done is we're just creating the graphics that you see, both that have been promoting the 530 service, as well as our new series on Rejoice. We're just going to make those available to you on that page where you'll just click, drag it to your desktop, drag it to a saved image on your phone, and then you'll be able to share those rather than just waiting for when Trinity churches. Facebook and Instagram page does those. They're just available for you to do at any point that you want to. And here's why we love that. We believe that you have influence in your relationships. And whether that be your front yard, remember that's why we did those signs, was not just that people driving by would see them, but it begins a conversation with your neighbors. So in the same way, the people that follow you on social media will be able to see, hey, these are things I'm excited about, what God's doing at our church and what he's doing in my life, and just ways for you to share those and communicate those. So that's that page is available to you. You can share those on Instagram and Facebook. And we just want to make those things that you can use to continue to be a person of influence. I'm real excited. We're going to continue that moving forward. Brand new series that we have or various different things that we're emphasizing. We'll have a shareables thing. You'll note the size of the picture, by the way, too. Some are things that you'd put right on your wall, and others are more like a story size. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, we'll do a tutorial very soon, okay? We'll get you all caught up. But we're excited about making some social media options available for you. Well, like I said, this book of Philippians is just a a powerful short book, and we're going to see all kinds of big themes that are going to surface throughout the course of our next eight weeks together. And as we do, among them though, what you're going to see every single week literally is this idea of joy. It's just gonna be all over the place. And I love that we're just gonna to continue to have that bubble to the top in such a way that it's gonna help us ask questions. God, what is my joy in you look like? God, where is the source of my joy and how I should be rejoicing, like we see in, in Philippians 4, no matter what the circumstances. And that's gonna be a real win for us both individually and corporately, together as a church. As we see this idea, today we start off at the beginning of the book, and we're going to see it begins by a prayer, Paul praying a prayer specifically for this group of believers that live in Philippi, that their love would abound more and more. I can't wait to dive into that with you. So let's begin today. Here's our now what statement. Pray like Paul did out of a deep love for the people in your relational world. You're going to see that that's really what Paul's going to talk about as a driving force. I have this deep love, this deep affection for you, and I am praying for you accordingly to these things. Let me even talk about that phrase, by the way. We use that phrase relational world a lot. Let me remind you, you have lots of different types of people in your relational world. You have some people in your world who love Jesus and what I want to encourage you to do as you think about this kind of application this week is to be praying prayers like this Philippians 1 prayer for the people in your world who love Jesus and that you would pray that their love would abound more and more. There's other people in your relational world who don't love Jesus yet. And this is still a great prayer to be praying for them as God continues to open up your heart, soften your heart with a love for them and the fact that this would one day be a prayer that they themselves would wanna pray. God, would you do a work in me that I might want to love you and love people more? So on both fronts, this message today, this prayer today has great application for the people in your world. Let's dive in. Number one in your notes, Jesus is the common bond for his people. Jesus is the common bond for his people. We're in Philippians 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As you have maybe read some of Paul's letters, you'll note that this is a relatively typical greeting. This is very similar. To how the prayer might begin or the greeting might begin in Ephesians or in Galatians. Galatians is a little bit different, but Colossians as well. And so, within this, as this kind of unpacks, this is very typical. But what I want you to see see the incredible presence of Jesus in all three of these phrases. Look back at those first couple of verses. Paul identifies himself and Timothy as Christ, Jesus' servants. That word Christ, by the way, is an important word. It's the Greek translation of basically the jewish word messiah so every time that we see the word christ in the new testament paul is making a connection to the fact that jesus is the long-awaited messiah that was promised to israel but came praise god for the whole world so that's what that word means so he begins by saying timothy and i the reason that we're connected to you is through jesus because we're his fellow servants look at the next phrase the people of god and the leaders within the church are such those elders and or, uh, overseers and deacons, because they are in Christ Jesus. That creates this common bond that they have with one another. And then his greeting, grace and peace, is extended to them because it flows from the Lord Christ Jesus. Now that word Lord is also a really important word, and we're going to see especially in the book of Philippians, why it's important that Paul uses it. But you have to understand a little bit. We use it today in in a very Bible way, a spiritual way. And that's great because it should be. But especially in the first century, it had a lot more significance. And it meant this. In the first century, people were saying that the the way that the Roman world, Rome had conquered pretty much the known world at that time. And the, the common chant that would go out is that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. So by Paul, and we're going to see specifically to the Philippians, to say that Jesus is Lord, rightfully so, was actually a subversive statement. This was a statement of tension, and a statement of conflict. Wait a second. We we, we reserve that word for Caesar only. Paul was saying, hey, there is someone much more, um, uh, uh, what's the word, equipped or much more eligible for that term, and it's actually Jesus alone. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that title means one who rightly so is in this incredible role of authority, but was wrongly ascribed to the Roman Caesars. And now Paul makes it appropriately ascribed to Jesus. So we're going to see, especially the Philippian church, why that was such a powerful word that he would choose to use. Paul begins by highlighting in this letter, the one who provided them this commonness. So Jesus is found in all three of these phrases He's the universal savior of the world who's provided a way for them to be right with God vertically and also right with each other horizontally. And that theme keeps coming up, doesn't it? We finished the last two weeks in our series, Where You Fit at Trinity, talking about the one another's. And we talked about this idea of how that we are expected to live out these one another's because what Jesus came to do wasn't just individually to make you right with God. It was what he was also meant to do is make us right with one another. So the one another's have a lot of power when we realize they're not suggestions, They're imperative verbs, but the reason we can have that degree of connection, the reason we can live out that kind of fellowship of the one another's is because what Jesus has done to bring us together. That's a powerful thing. So that's a significant deal for us as a local church. We are an extension of the body of Christ here at Trinity Church in the Inland Empire. It's important for us that we would recognize what draws us together isn't so much where we come from socioeconomic background. Isn't so much where we come from ethnicity-wise. Isn't so much where we come from related to our stories. What really draws us together most is Jesus. And therefore, we can have a lot of things that are not in common as long as we have him in common. But I want to say this, as important as that is for us as a local church, realize that the people in your life watching, the people in our community that are watching, this blows their minds. Because generally in life, the people who surround each other, their tribes are all groups of people who have as much in common as possible. And therefore, we can have community because we have so much in common. We're saying, no, we can actually be incredibly diverse, but because we have Jesus in common, that makes us one. And that's how Paul begins this letter, that this reality of Jesus being what draws you together, it speaks loudly, not just as you live in community, but as an unbelieving world watches you at what it communicates to them. Now, as diverse as our aspects may be at Trinity Church, that yet we still are able to come together and be one because of Jesus, I want you to see that to the Philippian Church, the reasons that could have divided them were even more extreme. So let me give you a little bit of historical background. Take a look at this map. You'll see where Philippi was in the ancient world. Notice Italy to the left. So that's, you know, and Rome is around the corner from there. Then you'll notice uh, what it says, Macedonia, present-day Greece. And the Aegean Sea, you'll notice kind of at the top, as the sea kind of goes towards the that part of the country, is Philippi circled in red. So that's where Philippi was. What I want you to hear today though, it's really important and it'll lay a groundwork for the rest of the book, is that Philippi was a part of the conquered world of Rome, but even more so, it was a Roman colony. Meaning it was more Romanized than most parts of the world that weren't in Italy. This was a big deal. When we look at this and as we talk through stuff, and if I say today that Philippi was a Roman colony, you're like, well, that's great. I don't know what that means. Well, let me walk it out a little bit and I'll I'll show you a little bit in our context what that might look like. So for a few things for them, number one, they followed the pattern of Rome. So a lot of their architecture, a lot of their buildings looked like the mother city of Rome, had just incredible Roman influence. One of the reasons why is that retired military soldiers who were Roman soldiers would come and live in Philippi. That's the way you'd colonize in areas. You'd send people who were very committed to you, very much uh, in line with the Roman government. You'd send them to be influential in a place like Philippi. So very quickly, it becomes very Roman and less Greek. So that's kind of the tone. As a result, the citizens of Philippi, they were Roman citizens. Therefore, they were exempt from taxes. Some of you would like to know what it would be to be a Roman citizen right now, like sign me up. They also had some really unique things related to how they were governed under Roman law. That was another thing that was unique about this particular city, miles and miles away from the city of Rome. Um, Let me give you an example. This is the best way I could think of it, because I don't think of colonization very well. Like, what does that even mean? Think of it this way. Think of the mighty world power of Canada to our north defeated America. Conquered America, and and within that whole thing, they said we want to make the Inland Empire a unique colony of Canada. We want to Canadaize. I just made up a bad word there. It's not even a word. But we want to make very much like Canada the Inland Empire. So what you would see is a proliferation of maple leaf flags. We would have syrup oozing from all of our pores, and we would all say the word about wrong. Okay. So, we we would look very Canadian more than other parts of the conquered area. That's what Philippi was. It was a Romanized area, much more, um, so much, much more um, in this demographic than other parts, even near them in other areas of, of Greece. So, catch that. That's a really important thing as we walk through this passage. So, another thing that was true about Philippi they had impressive altars and temples that were dedicated to the emperor and to the emperor's family members. So watch this. We said a minute ago that people would say Caesar is Lord. What there was was basically a cult of emperor worship. The emperor was this unique God-ordained being that would speak for God to the people. So as a result, there was emperor worship. So we just said a minute ago, Jesus is introduced as the Lord, not Caesar, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're gonna see throughout this book, is that whenever anyone would go against emperor worship, would choose not to worship the emperor, it was deemed as subversive. So this is now a big deal. Jesus' worship is actually something that's forbidden in the city of Philippi. Therefore, how does a church take root and grow? Well, we're gonna see. It's because of the power of God at work in people's lives. Acts 16 is the place in our New Testament where you get the narrative of of what happens when Paul plants a church in the city of Philippi. And you'll notice even some of these things, it it begins by saying that Philippi was a Roman colony. So even uh, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, makes a point of saying not just conquered by Rome, but a unique Romanized area. The residents of Philippi, they expressed their pride in their Roman citizenship when they were accusing Paul and his associates, this is from Acts sixteen twenty one of advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. You and I have read that maybe before in Acts 16, I read right over the top of it, like, oh, okay, it was like not good to follow Jesus, but I don't really know why. Now we know why because the tone that the expectation in the law was that you would if there was any religious belief at all it would be towards the emperor not towards some jewish rabbi named jesus Later on, it was in the same passage when Paul and Silas appeal to their Roman citizenship. If you remember, they were beaten and they said, is this how you treat card-carrying Roman citizens? And all of a sudden that shut that whole thing down. So this idea of Roman law and emperor worship is a big deal as it surfaces in what we even know about the church at Philippi. Here were some of the first members of the church in Philippi. We read about Lydia, a God-fearing Gentile businesswoman. Her and her family come to Christ first. And then we read about the Roman jailer, right? You know him as the Philippian jailer. This earthquake happens. He's freaking out. All the people under his watch have left. But Paul is there and he's saying, we haven't gone anywhere. Don't do anything to yourself. And that jailer and his family get baptized the next day. And then potentially the slave girl that Paul casts the demons out of. So when you hear about this eclectic group of people, a businesswoman, a jailer, and a slave girl, you're thinking that isn't really the upper crust of society that we want to go target to start a church. Now, I'm not saying anyone thinks that way, but the point is we would kind of go, wow, it's going to be hard for a church to grow with that as its founding members. But again, what we see is this power of God of what he was doing in people's lives that created great transformation. So it's a little bit of the historical narrative. Let's move on. Number two in your notes, thankfulness and joy flow from the deep affection we're to have for one another. Thankfulness and joy flow from the deep affection we're to have for each other. We're continuing Philippians 1.3. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now I told you that I feel like this book is just so right for the season that we're in at Trinity. And, and here's one of the reasons why. This book just drips with encouragement. It drips with thankfulness. It drips with joy related to the idea of how we feel towards others in the body of Christ. And I just, I'm so excited to dive into this and really grow and develop that, not only in my own heart, but my hope is for all of us over these next eight or nine weeks to develop that sense of just kind of, God, what are you doing? And how can I recognize how deeply connected I am to these other people because we have you in common? I love it, one commentator summed up the book of Philippians like this. He said, from beginning to end, this letter needs to be read as a thank you from Paul to the Philippian believers. And that's really kind of what the tone is all the way through. I love this first phrase, look at the power of it. I thank my God every time I remember you. I want to ask you this question, honest question today. Is there anyone in your life that the very thought of them only and always elicits thanks? Your parents? Eh, Sometimes. Your kids? Maybe less. (laughs) Uh, Your spouse? Hopefully, but... eh. Uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, extended family, longtime friends. Here's my point is that that is a rare thing, if ever, that every single time I think of this person, I explode in gratitude and thankfulness. I'm going to put this out. I think that if you would say, no, Todd, there really is someone, I'll I'll, I'll buy that. I'm not going to push back and say that can't be, but I'm going to suggest they live in Idaho and you see them twice a year. It's kind of like the idea of them you're always thankful for. But then you start doing life and you're like, eh, not that one either. And, and here's my point. This is what I really love. though. Look at how a commentator wrote this that I think actually, I'm not trying to be facetious because I think that we can and should develop a posture where we do think only thoughts of thanks. Look what he said. He said, only in prayer to God can there be this consistent gratitude for prayer with a Godward perspective focuses on God's gracious work in human lives, watch this, no matter how fallen and needy. That's really powerful. When I read that commentator, I look at that comment and I go, you know, that's right. If I would actually have a Godward perspective that takes into account all of who this person is, Like it's not at all minimizing the fallenness and neediness, but it's saying, but God, you are the one who has redeemed them. God, you are the one transforming them. I can look at them, think upon them with thankfulness. I thought that's a really good, that's good looking in the mirror going, yeah, I need to grow in that. See his thankfulness for them is consistent intercession, his prayers, how they how we praise with them, and you saw that phrase with joy. Here's what we're gonna see throughout the course of this book. The word joy or rejoice shows up 14 times. I did a little bit of math, and this book is very short, just four chapters long. I did some math this week. That means on average, the word joy shows up every seven and a half verses. There is no book of the Bible that has that concentration of the idea of joy like this book of Philippians does. That's why we wanted to make a big deal about it for even in the way that we promote it. For instance, some of you, you saw this, you're looking at the banners or on the back wall and you're like, oh, it's really cool. And it's just right now that it's clicking. We didn't spell the word rejoice right. You're like, oh, that, oh. Yeah. And then for English majors, you've been mad all morning. I go to church and they can't even spell, okay? But, but here's why. We love, we just wanted to center that idea that joy is at the center of this book. It's, it's threaded literally every single week in this series, we're going to see the word at least once, joy, surface to the top. That's how thick it is throughout this book. So we want to make much of what we believe the Apostle Paul is making much of. And and so as we do that, one of the things that's important, and I find this all the time, I can just start talking like, and I'm in a conversation with people, and I can start talking using a word or a phrase, assuming everyone means, thinks that phrase or word means what I think it means. So let's not make that assumption today. Let's go back and say, biblically speaking, what does this idea mean? Well, let's actually begin with what Webster says, meaning what does our common culture think joy is defined as? And this is, if you look it up, you'll find something like this, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And I'm going to suggest, as we look at a definition for joy today, that joy should engage your emotions. So feeling should be a part, a real part of what it means to be joyful. But I think there's a problem with the definition, and that is simply, where is the source of joy found? Meaning this, is your joy based on the fact of being reunited with a loved one? Is your joy based on the fact you did a great job on a paper or a test at school, or you got a compliment doing a job well done? Is your joy based on the fact that we're having great weather today? And here's the point. What happens if those things aren't there? What happens if you live in a part of the world where they never have great weather ever? I lived in one for 14 years, okay? Does that mean the people of the high desert cannot know joy? Based on that definition, yes. But I think the Bible's offering a different idea, a different thing about joy. This is, if we're going to use the Webster's Dictionary definition, this is then how we'd have to explain joy to someone. I experience joy when blank happens to me very conditional, very much based on circumstances. That's what kind of just a a worldly definition, a, a typical definition of joy might be about. But here's the wild thing about joy as we see it in the book of Philippians and all throughout scripture. Biblical joy isn't dependent or conditional based on your particular circumstances, but it's something that emanates from your relationship and confidence in Jesus. That's why Paul could write authentically about joy while he was chained in a Roman jail. Oh yeah, we forgot to mention that. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all four of these books are what we call the prison epistles. And they're based on this idea that they were written while Paul was in prison. Some of us might say, well, you know, based on a Webster's definition, Paul's a hypocrite. That's a hoax to say how joyful he is and how he's calling other people to joy while he's chained in a jail cell. There's that, that no way that can happen. But Paul's going to promote to us throughout our time in Philippians that our joy as followers of Jesus isn't based on our circumstances, but instead is based on what Jesus has done for us. And that doesn't change. So that's a powerful thing. I want you to see this. Look in your notes. The Greek word most often translated as joy is kara. Kara, and it means delight or gladness based on the awareness of God's grace. That's a great definition. I find the older I get, the more I like simple. Just make it simple for me. And that's why I love the back part of that definition, grace recognized. Grace recognized. Remember, we've said we've, we've de- uh, defined grace as getting what you don't deserve. So a great thing, like didn't do anything to deserve it or earn it, but good things, blessings have come to you. So if we can say that joy is grace recognized, here's what we're saying. God, you have been good to me. I have piles of rocks, altars that indicate and mark your faithfulness and goodness to me. God, you are good to me today because of the ways that your grace is just flowing over my life and I see you, I see what you've done for me, I see what you're doing in me. And God, your grace is going to continue to be good. I wanna keep recognizing it as I look forward, not just to tomorrow, but towards eternity. That is a powerful definition of what grace is or what joy is, is grace recognized will you will i have our radar up paying attention to the way that god has continuously keeps dumping grace into your life and as a result would that elicit joy now I know I've heard for a long time in church that joy and happiness are different, and I absolutely agree based on this biblical definition of joy. But here's the weird thing. If you have heard that and begun to say that to yourself a lot, you maybe have actually um, broken away or, or disconnected joy from any emotion at all. So like this, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Can I just tell you, nobody believes that, including you. Because like I said, joy does register, it connects with our emotions. It's not purely emotive, but to say that joy has no connection to our motives, our, our emotions, I think also is foolishness. They do over, over cross, they do connect, and it's important for us to see that. Um, Look at some other ways that other Christian writers or theologians have defined biblical joy. Look up on the screen or in your notes. C.S. Lewis said, joy is an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. Yep, that'll take you all week to think about, just like it's been doing for me. It's incredibly deep, but catch the the idea of it. It is something that is forward-looking meaning joy, and we'll see this in just a moment, joy will be realized, joy will be fully known, not in this life, but in what's to come. Piper put it this way, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world great definition. Hard to memorize, but there's a lot there, but that is a really good overview, I think, of biblical joy, and it encompasses all those realities. And I love the way Matthew Henry, a commentator, put it this way, joy is a constant delight in God. Those are just good things, and, and this is what this does. I want those to sink in a little bit today and throughout this week getting a biblical notion of what joy is. So when we come back together next week, we're already starting with that as a foundation laid, is that joy is grace recognized. Joy is a consistent delight in the goodness of God. Joy is something that I can know, but it's not gonna be realized until I'm with Jesus. Those are all parts of this reality. But can I say this? That being the case, I've been studying for the last week and a half, getting ready for today, but I gotta tell you, I had to stare in the mirror kind of hard. And I'm going to put out something that's going to be a bit convicting for you because I'm going to quote you, but just know when I do, I'm also quoting me. I've said on numerous occasions, such and such is stealing my joy. It might be a circumstance, a situation, could even be a person, but I've said this, is, this, is, this experience is stealing my joy. And The fascinating thing is I've had to do the work and think and process this week. That's just not a biblically consistent statement for the follower of Jesus. Those things might be challenging, those things might be really causing a lot of pressure and challenge and angst, but if my joy is found in what Jesus has already done for me, who can take that away? Nobody. So look in your notes, this is maybe a way to say it as we start this series off together. If joy is based on something that can't be taken away from you, grace that's been demonstrated to you through Jesus, then how can you say that some situation or person is stealing your joy? Again, I don't mean it just like, hey, here's your thing. I've said this before and I was convicted this week. God, I got to see joy through the right lens. I have not, if I'm saying that statement, I'm not saying it in a biblically consistent way. That's why I even love you look on the banners, you'll see the tagline for our series, a Jesus perspective for everyday life. I really think that's what the essence of joy is. I keep in the front of my mind what Jesus has done for me, who Jesus is today, and what he's going to do for me in the future, and I realize that alone is reason to elicit joy in my life. Briefly, let's look at the reason why he has joy when he prays for them. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership is actually a very familiar word here at Trinity. It's the word koinonia. Koinonia, let's give it a definition. It basically means it's defined as involving mutual interests and sharing. Involving mutual interests and sharing. And so here's what Paul is saying. We've already talked about we have a common bond. His name is Jesus. And no matter what our diversity, we find unity because of him. But then he also goes on to say that this idea that they have been not just having a mutual connection, but even more, you have been my partners. We've been in this together. When I came to Philippi and I got to share the great news of Jesus with you, not only did you respond to it, but even since I've been away from you, you've continued to meet my needs. We're going to read about this in chapter two. They had sent a financial gift to him through one of their own members of their congregation so they could continue to be partners with him, not just initially, but even now today as the gospel was going to the uttermost ends of the earth. That's what that partnership is based on. It was tangible as much as it was something uh, relational. And that's important for us to know. Look at these great words of confidence that Paul shares with them about the outcome of the gospel in their lives. Let's put this verse back up again. It's one that for many of us is well known. Let's read this aloud. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul is motivating them. He's wanting them to see that God is going to be good for every single promise he's made for them, not just how they began, not just when the word of God came to them and they initially realized that they needed a savior and he was the only one available. But then what is going forward with that, the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, the hope of heaven was all theirs. God was going to see it to the end. That last phrase, the day of Christ Jesus, means exactly that, the day when Jesus Christ returns. So we're going to see that phrase pop up one more time today, and that'll be significant when we see that. Now, I want to say this, you, you might feel like you have um, outgrown the idea of memorizing scripture. I get that. And, and I, I grew up in a church where it was, it was a, a really important thing about growing up in the church was memorizing a scripture maybe on a Sunday morning or in a midweek program or whatever. And there was always this really like um, quick uh, reflex that it was almost like Pavlov's dog. Memorize and say this and here's your piece of candy. Memorize and say this and here's a plastic crown to go in your jewel or your jewel in your crown. And that and was that instant gratification that would keep you doing it. And I remember that doing that uh, was important. And I really do think it laid a foundation when I read Philippians 1.6. That's a verse I have memorized many times in my life, especially when I was a child. But the reality is that we get to a point growing up in a church environment where we think we outgrow the value of memorizing scripture. Well, let me say it this way. You do outgrow the idea of needing a piece of candy every time you can recite something. That rightly should outgrow yourself. But the idea of having a firm grasp and a readiness to bring scripture to your mind, I don't think that's anything you ever outgrow. Part of the problem is, is that when we were teaching our kids to learn and memorize scripture, we, we were doing a good job of helping them link phrases together, but not necessarily knowing what do those even mean? And that's really where the value of memorizing scripture is not just that I can repeat phrases, but I'm repeating something that's central and core and it's incredibly valuable because it's the word of God. That's why we love the songs that we sing at Trinity. There is at times a repetition, partly because during the week, we want that buzzing through your mind. I don't remember all the words, but I remember that line from the chorus, and that's just something I'm humming to myself. That's a good thing to have the Word of God there in us. Now, that's not the Word of God. It's a worship song, even better when it's actually Scripture that I can pull and bring to my mind. This last week, I remember a song from Romans chapter eight, when I was a youth pastor, literally just put that phrase, for I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I just put it to to music. And I remember I haven't sung that song in probably 15 years. And without dropping a, a beat, I could remember every single word. That's, that's powerful. So what we're going to do during this series, we thought, hey, let's bubble that up to the top again, especially in our home groups. And let's say, let's do this. Let's memorize either a verse or a passage every week throughout this series and get the book of Philippians more in our heart, more in our head. So this week, when you're with your group and you guys are meeting, I'm going to expect that people around that circle can memorize that verse. If you need the motivation of when you say this verse, you get a brownie, so be it. All right, do that. That's fine. But I do think this is gonna be a big value to us and we'll highlight a verse weekly throughout this series to keep that in front of us. Paul goes on to simply communicate to them that he loves them so deeply because they had become so dear to him. He says, it's only right that I, I demonstrate this kind of affection and love for you because I have become so attached to you. I love you deeply. He's miles and miles away from where they are right now, writing in a jail cell, but he's saying, I cannot wait to be reconnected to you, to see you again, because I value you so much. What a great statement for us at Trinity to go, how are we loving the people that are in the body of Christ with that kind of love? I just have this deep, right affection for you because you and I have Jesus in common. Finally today, number three in your notes you, your love for others is expected to grow and grow. Your love for each other is expected to grow and grow. Philippians 1.9, and this is my prayer. We finally get to it. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, look, look at this while this is up here. One thing that will help you in the commentary work that I did this week, this might be helpful. And this is my prayer, that your love for each other, for one another may abound more and more. If we don't know what this love relates to, it can mean lots of things. Maybe a love for God, maybe a love for our culture, our community, but it's actually talking about this agape word is translated that idea. Here's what Paul's saying. I have this deep affection for you. I'm praying that you'll have the same kind of deep affection for one another. That your love would abound more and more the way that you love one another. Now, he's not saying, I don't care about your love for God. But this prayer in particular, I'm praying that your love for one another would abound more and more. That you would grow in this and it would be ever increasing. That's huge. That's a powerful thing to go. This is what the Apostle Paul was praying for the Philippian church. And the bigger application, this is what God wants for us that our love would abound more and more towards one another. Look at how that love is going to grow or abound is through knowledge and through depth of insight. And I want you to live in this tension for a little bit. Live in the tension on the one hand. Paul says, I want your love to abound, and he doesn't just leave it that vague. Like, oh, it's a happy feeling. I just love for that to happen to you. No, he tells them how. Your love for one another will abound through knowledge Your knowledge of God, your knowledge of what he expects of you towards other people, and your depth of insight of knowing the people you're doing life with, knowing their stories, knowing their backgrounds. That's how love abounds more and more. So on the one hand, knowledge and depth of insight were huge to see that love grow. But then flip it to the other side. Don't also hear Paul saying, my prayer is that your knowledge and depth of insight grow. Those two things are subservient to my prayer is that your love would abound. What does he write to the Corinthians? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love, love, love is the command. Love is the prayer in this sense of what he's praying on their behalf. I want to draw your attention to the purpose phrase. I just love this. Every time I read scripture, I am drawn to purpose. If you can help me understand why something is important, I can wrap my head and heart around that so much better. And the Bible is replete with these statements. It has that phrase, so that, praying that their love would be ever abounding, so that why, they may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That their love would abound so that, watch this, it would have a direct, incredibly positive effect in them. Look in your notes. A love that grows in knowledge and depth of insight is the kind of love that not only deeply benefits others, but purifies and cleanses our own lives as we live in a thoughtful, growing love toward one another. So this kind of love that abounds actually benefits others as much as it benefits you because God is doing a work in you as you love others. You are becoming more pure. You are becoming more blameless. And look at the when, W-H-E-N. What is all this leading to for the day of Christ Jesus? We've said it earlier. That phrase is synonymous with when Jesus returns. So this is really important to Paul as he's putting this out there. And look what will be the demonstration of this. Look at that phrase. It will evidence Jesus among and in them because they'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Catch this. The kind of love they're supposed to have for one another is not going to be accomplished through religious rule keeping. Religious rule keeping never accomplishes love, all it does is set up some sort of hierarchy, a ladder to try to climb. Paul says, the way that people will know Jesus is among you, the evidence of him is the way that you're loving one another. That's something that's beyond what religion can demonstrate. And like we saw last week, God gets the credit when this happens, when they, that back to idea of glorifying God, when they are feeling, thinking, and acting in ways that reflect the greatness of God. So here's what I want to finish with today. I want two things as we wrap it up. Number one, in this series, we're going to finish our last uh, week with a series response service. If you were here with us in the spring, we finished a heaven and hell series that way. And it was so powerful to hear from one another after the course of that series. We're gonna do that again on October 27th. We're excited for that. In preparation for that, one of the things we'd love to have you do is help us by contributing even in the meantime with what I would call yay God stories of his answering prayer. Take a look at the slide. This is what we'd love for you to do via our social media. It'll pop up there, is, um, is send us stories of ways. Maybe this was something as you were praying about something that God answered decades ago. Maybe it was last year. Maybe it was last week. But I'd love for you to tell us the story and those answered prayer responses we're going to put together as part of that series response with, again, the same goal of what Paul just said, that God gets the glory because we're going to reflect on the greatness of God together in community. So those stories, you can start sending them this week and we'll put them together for that final service. Finally today, what we want to do is I want, I love the way that this prayer finished in that it's such a great prayer for us to pray over each other. God, would we as a community, would we be the type of people who demonstrate you the fruit of, of who you are in our lives by the way our love abounds more and more? So I'd like you to do this with me. I'd like you to pray this prayer as we close our service. Pray it aloud with me and that will be how we finish up this part. Let's read it. Let's pray it. And this is my prayer